the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. It is a Thursday, the 8th day of March. Trust you're having a great day so far. Gee, we've managed to get away without any wet, rainy weather for a couple of days here, though I understand more in store for the weekend. And, of course, as we talk about weather, and that leads us to traffic, we're going to keep you on top of traffic throughout the program tonight with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Coming up tonight at 6 o'clock, we continue our parenting series. Vern Tyler from the Hosanna Parenting Project will be here yet once again, so we invite you to uh, stay with us for that. A very engaging series, particularly in the day and an age when it seems as if parents have so many challenges against them at the moral level, at the spiritual level, um, many influencing factors, everything from uh, media to uh, public discourse to even what's taught in the public classroom that challenges parents and makes the matter of parenting so much more difficult. How do you successfully, in a God-honoring, God-fearing manner, raise your children in the new millennium? We'll talk about that. Vern Tyler continues his series, The Parenting Project, coming up tonight at 6 o'clock right here on KFAX. As we lead off, a gentleman who is no stranger to the KFAX microphones, if you are a fan of good, solid apologetics and Bible-based theology that will get you from point B to point A and back again safely so, then uh, I have no doubt you make it an, a special point to tune in every Saturday evening at 7 p.m. for Contending for the Faith. We are pleased to have with us today in studio Senior Pastor of Tiburon Christian Fellowship. He is a Bible teacher, counselor, lecturer, expert on the cults in the San Francisco Bay Area and abroad, and he is the host of Contending for the Faith, as we say, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m right here on KFAX. He is Dr. Jerry Buckner. Dr. Buckner, as always, a privilege to have you join us. Craig, it's always a blessing to be with you, and we go way back, and matter of fact, I, I don't think we should get into that because... we, pr- Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll otherwise... Be our age. Yeah, the, the gig is up here, and everybody's <laughs> going to figure out that we've not been exactly forthright on our age. I tell folks, just to shade over 21. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Amen. We are going to spend some time, as I mentioned, the listeners on the program yesterday speaking about the matter of the gifts and what it means to ascertain what your spiritual gifts are, uh, how to identify them, how to put them to work, and uh, certainly a question that I think many within the church today, if you've not asked yourself that question, you should be, because many people today kind of struggle with a sense of, well, I know who I am in Christ, but I'm not exactly sure what I ought to be doing for the cause of the kingdom. What are my strengths, and how can I put those talents and strengths to work for God's glory. We're going to talk about that tonight. But before we do so, I wanted to take advantage, Dr. Buckner, of your field of expertise, um, in addition to many arenas of theology, of course, uh, the cults, and specifically the Nation of Islam, is an arena of which you know a great deal. And I have noticed over the last, oh, three, four weeks now that Louis Farrakhan from the Nation of Islam has been in the news once again. This time around, though, interestingly, it's not just folks within the Christian realm that comment about his remarks that he often makes during the so-called the Savior's Day annual event in Chicago. Typically, he engages in rhetoric that, uh, with no, uh, no apologies, is on the extremely um, anti-Semitic side. This is nothing new for him. What is new is the fact that the mainstream media is paying attention to this. And there have been some individuals that have been involved in leadership in the Me Too movement who have attended Savior Day events in Chicago, tweeted about them, commented about them publicly in a very endorsing, positive fashion. And now a lot of secular press is saying, wait a minute, why is there no repudiation for some of the positions 
that Louis Farrakhan has taken in relationship to everyone from bashing President Trump to even bashing his predecessor, Barack Obama, and certainly the anti-Semitic remarks uh, continue unabated. Yes, Craig, that, that's a good point. Uh, I think the problem that we're having today in our world uh, regarding Louis Farrakhan, but also cults across America, is that uh, people uh, have not been discipled when it comes to the Word of God. And Hosea, the prophet, said this a long time ago, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And then Amos said that there is not only a famine in the land, but there's a famine of the Word of God. And when people have not been discipled in the Word of God, it opens uh, Pandora's box to all sorts of evil. And when we talk about Louis Farrakhan, you're not only talking about uh, him being in the media and influencing the media and the black media and all types of medias, but also he's influencing the church. And our people today, uh, in the even in the black church, uh, if there has not been a sense of discipleship and training of the Word of God, then it leaves the door open for a lot of us to get caught up into not only a black nationalism, but blackness, and putting the blackness over the black book, which is the Bible. And Louis Farrakhan is masterful at that. He quotes more from the Bible than the Quran. Have you noticed that? Yes. yes. I, every once in a while when I happen to catch him in a media interview, I'm thinking, he's quoting Bible scripture, and yet he's an Islamist. Yes, and the reason why he does that, Craig, is because he knows that the black community loves the Bible, and he knows that this is a way that he can not only influence them, but also he can influence them in terms of getting them into the black mosque. He has no interest in... Uh, being involved with the black church at all, he wants young men and young women to join the nation of Islam. And, uh, and he's doing a good job at that because of the fact that a lot of our black churches have failed to minister and mentor young black men and young black women. And Farrakhan is masterful at that as far as attraction and so we got to get back to the roots and uh, in order to bear fruit. He's been successful at essentially recruiting young men, especially, out of the black church insofar as what? Uh, appealing to those that feel disenfranchised, not only perhaps by the church itself, but by society as well. I'm talking about things like educational opportunities, employment opportunities, things of that like. Yes, that is very true. And I think one of the biggest things is, and I've been studying the nation of Islam over 40 years now, I think the biggest thing, Craig, is the fact that uh, a lot of the homes today, especially in the urban cities, is, uh, you know, run by a single parent, homes by mothers. And uh, sometimes those mothers are not in the homes and the grandmothers are there. Well, uh, this opens up the door towards a lot of young black males wanting to have a father figure to influence them. Well, when you look at the black church today, 80% of the black church is composed of black women, whereas in the nation of Islam, 80% of the black mosque is composed of black males. And so... Young black men attract young black men. Young, and, they, and Farrakhan knows if he can get to the black men, he can get to the black women. And so this is a wake-up call for the black church to uh, start ministering to our young black men, young black women, and mentoring them, become surrogate fathers to a lot of them in homes that are, don't have a father, don't have a mother, and do those jobs. When you think about even Malcolm X, Malcolm Little, uh, he was uh, in a prison um, in uh, Michigan. And the sad thing about his life is that, you know, his father was um, killed put on the, by the Ku Klux Klan, put on a railroad track, and the train came and ran him over. Well, Malcolm X was in prison, and he had such a hate for white people. But he hadn't crossed all the way over to, he hadn't crossed over to the Nation of Islam, well, the Nation of Islam under Elijah Muhammad went to the prisons and reached them, and the church should have been there. 
see, our failure to not only uh, be involved with these things that I'm talking about, but our failure also to address the issues of racism in America uh, has uh, left the door open to people like Louis Farrakhan and other people. black militant groups. And I guess to that degree, it would be no surprise then that so many young people are pulled in by the attraction of so-called identity politics because they have no other identity. They're trying to ascertain who exactly am I, where do I fit in, what does all of this mean? And of course, as we know from a Christian perspective, if your identity is not solidly rooted in Christ, you're going to be in big trouble. Oh, absolutely. Uh, There are two things, there are two reasons why people join uh, cults and isms and false teachings. One is a sense of identity, like you mentioned. The other one is a sense of belonging. And what cults do, they bring both of those things. And, um, you know, I'm in an interracial marriage, and that was one time when I almost joined uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. And if it had not been for Walter Martin, my mentor, mentoring me, I would have probably joined because I went to a kingdom hall to do a research paper. And when I went there, uh, I saw people from all different ethnicities, and that attracted me. Whereas being in an interracial marriage, we were young, going to various black churches, and sometimes my wife was mistreated by some of the black women. And we got really disenchanted by the black church at one time. But the thing that kept me strong, and this is the thing that should keep would keep anybody strong, is that I was rooted in the Word of God by Walter Martin. If I had not had that, Craig, I would have been all over the place. Why don't you talk about the attraction, that sense of identity and belonging and purpose that is lent by the cults? What does Hank Hanegraaff say? That uh, the rise of the cults are essentially the unpaid debts of the church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I would suspect that your experience or your wife's experience going into a black church would have been simply flipped had you gone into a predominantly white church, but instead you would have been the object of ridicule. Oh, yes, and we experienced that as well. That's one of the things I didn't say is that sometimes we would go to an all-white church, and I would experience it. And matter of fact, I was the keynote speaker in San Juan, Puerto Rico with the Southern Baptists. That was back in the... Uh, late uh, 90s, and they asked me to come and do a presentation on the Nation of Islam. And my wife and I, there was a predominantly white setting, and there was hardly no pepper there. It was all salt. (laughs) 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 And in the midst of all that salt, they didn't know that I was going to be the keynote speaker. They asked me to be the keynote speaker, and we had did also, the Southern Baptists uh, did a video with me called The Lost Nation of Islam. It's a tremendous video that people can get through our ministry, and they had me the featured person in that and other black scholars dealing with the Nation of Islam. But as as we were walking around there in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, people, even though they claimed to be Christians, they were ignoring us. And and uh, I got up and I spoke. And when I spoke before them, I said, one of the things that has caused the nation of Islam to grow is because of white racism. And you couldn't hear a pin drop. And a media person came up on me. And, uh, and then what ended up happening, I said, uh, we've experienced even some of that right here, my wife and I, and you could not hear a pin drop. And then later on, Willie McPherson, who was over the Black Church Extension, he came knocking on my door, and he said, Dr. Buckner, uh, the Lord through you has touched these peoples in such a way that the Southern Baptists, they want to have a lunch in. They want you to talk about how to overcome racism in the Southern Baptist Convention. Wow. And I did. I dealt with that. And I talked uh, about the Southern Baptist has not had a black president over the years. But that was many years ago. And after my speech, two years later, they ended up getting a black president for the Southern Baptist Convention. How about that? They heard you. (laughs) They heard me. 
But there's a lot more work to be done, to be sure. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to have to have you back because this is like the layers of an onion. Amen. And especially in relationship to, as we were discussing before we came on the air tonight, what's going on with immigration and some of the reaction to the policies of the administration that are fair and reasonable when it comes to protection of the borders. And yet uh, you can see some of the racists out there happily applauding what's going on at certain levels. And sadly, that is no respecter of persons, meaning that you're seeing some of those signs of racism coming out of the conservative camp, the Republican camp, the Christian camp, the evangelical camp across the board. And there's a huge opportunity here for the church to rise above all of this and to be about the business of modeling reconciliation. We of all should know what that looks like, being saved, born again, and reconciled unto the Father, and we've experienced grace ourselves, we have a great opportunity here to also demonstrate grace as well. Well, you and I had talked about this. This is so well said. You and I talked about this before we got on air, that when we jump on just playing the race card and the racism card, what it's going to do is divide us more. Mm-hmm. What we got to do is start, as you mentioned the word, reconciliation. Because reconciliation, this, these R's, reconciliation brings redemption. And if we can start off there, I mean, I've used the phrase, and I'll probably be talking about this a little bit on Saturday. We talked about, we talk about border control. We talk about gun control. But what about God control? Hmm. When we get back to God... And we let him control us. And we have that spirit of reconciliation. Rather than letting this this race card and racism dominate us. Not to say that racism is not real. It is real. But the thing that's the real issue behind racism is sin. It's, it's not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And when we start to deal with the issue of sin then God is going to redeem us all, and he's going to bring that spirit of reconciliation. But the issue of sin is not brought up at all, and we are, we are sinners, and that's the thing that makes us racist. And the irony is we are so ready to, or easy to jump on telling you what we think about somebody else, and yet uh, when pressed, few have an opinion to share in terms of what God thinks of them. Amen. And I can tell you in a nutshell what God thinks of them, that while we were yet sinners— He sent his son to die, that none should perish, because he so loved the world. Not parts of it, but all of the world. Yes. We're going to pause on that point, because uh, we're going to get lost otherwise. (laughs) And and Jarrell says, we do have business to take care of, so we're going to take care of some of that business. Includes getting you updated on traffic. When we come back to more of our conversation with Dr. Jerry Buckner, we're going to dive into the topic of how to discover what your gifts are within the church. That coming up around the corner. Right now, though, let's see what's going on traffic-wise. Michael Bennett's got the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Dr. Jerry Buckner, who can be heard as host of Contending for the Faith, Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX, is with us tonight in studio. And we're going to pivot now to the issue of spiritual gifts and what exactly that looks like. In fact, Dr. Buckner is in the midst of a multi-part teaching class, a nine-week series, in fact, that's um, being hosted at the East Bay Baptist Association in San Leandro. We'll tell you more about that in the moment. But it's an opportunity, I think, for all of us who, once we find our identity in Christ, sometimes struggle with what now? We go to church, we read the Bible, we pray, we tithe, we do all those obligatory things. Maybe we even share our faith from time to time. But where do we really fit in? How do we best ascertain what God has called us to, what he has gifted us with? And it's interesting, Dr. Buckner, in preparation for our conversation today, I spent some time in Scripture, and um, there are a number of major passages that give us a look at some of the spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 8, uh, Ephesians 4, 11, again in Corinthians 12 and 28, later on in that same chapter, that give us a list that goes from as little as six to as many or seven and many as 12 different um, descriptions of different types of gifts or talents that God gives to his church 
But of course, as a gift, this is not something that's given just to bless the person who's on the receiving side. This is really a sense of trying to identify what God has has empowered us or gifted us to do so that we can learn to take that gift or talent and re-gift it. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that I always say that uh, there's one gift that is not in the church. There's one gift that God has not gifted us with, and that is the pew-sitting gift. (laughs) (laughs) Although many of us, you would think, (laughs) majored in that. (laughs) That's so true. And uh, there are many that major in that. And, you know, uh, Craig, uh, there are three types of people in our churches today. And there are, the first group is those who watch things happen. They have a AA degree in peakology. <laughs> <laughs> they have a BA degree in watchology. They have a PhD in observology. That's the first group. And these are the same folks I would suspect that like the the average Monday morning quarterback and tell you exactly where all the plays were incorrectly executed, what mistakes the quarterback made, all the holes that the linebackers failed to close, the whole bit. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the first group, those who watch things happen. Now, these all sound alike. The second group is those who don't care if it, anything happens. I mean, you can preach to them until purgatory freezes over and they just won't do anything. That's the second group. And we have a lot of those people in our churches too. And then the third group is those who make things happen. So our thing is, and what I'm trying to do with these three types of people that uh, I'm teaching this class on, is trying to get them to that third category, that uh, to make things happen. Everybody, when they have been born again and baptized into the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they have been gifted with a spiritual gift. Uh, or, and then when they continue to seek God, God will show them what that gift is, and they are to exercise it for the kingdom work. And so uh, it's interesting that when you have First Corinthians chapter 12, it lists, like you're saying, all these different gifts. Then you have First Corinthians chapter 14, that lays out all the other different gifts, but in the middle, it's purposely put there. First Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter, because what Paul was dealing with, he was dealing with people who were showcasing their gifts, and this is not about that, because people uh, showcase their gifts, and they are selfish, and they want to make everybody else have that same gift, like, for instance, the gift of tongues and they divide the church. So Paul brings this uh, chapter in the middle, the love chapter, because the mature thing that Paul wants to see out of uh, these people that he's working with, the thing that makes us mature in the spiritual realm is not the, the gifts of the Spirit, but demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, because the first thing that's mentioned with Galatians 5 and 22 it's the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. He puts love at the first, and then he's bringing the love chapter be in the middle of these two chapters to say, this is what we're missing today in our world, and this is what is so needed when it comes to spiritual gifts. And this really speaks to the motivating factor, too. I mean, we've all been in a position where somebody comes alongside us and they want to do something for us. Maybe we're a little bit on the suspicious side. And after a while, we get to wondering, there's an ulterior motive here, isn't there? You're about to ask for something, or this is about to cost me in a way that I didn't see coming. Um, And that really gets to the heart of, as we've identified what it is that God has gifted us to do, and we employ that gift, that we need to employ that gift in the right spirit and heart attitude that is in harmony with making sure we are glorifying God and that our motivation is of a pure heart. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I lay out, Craig, is this. I lay out this. There are three T's that we will be judged for when we stand before God. And I encourage people, if they're listening tonight, to write these three T's down. We will be judged upon the first T, 
what we've done with our time. And our time is to be used efficiently, biblically, for the kingdom work and kingdom business, our time. The second T, we will be judged on what we did with our uh, talents. So God has given everybody that's been born in this world a talent, but when you're born again, he's blessed you with a spiritual gift. The third T is our treasures. And that's why, and that refers to what we do with the money that he's entrusted us with, because Jesus said, lay up not for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. A lot of times people come to me and they say, well, Dr. Buckner, uh, I don't have uh, an ability. And I said, well, you know what? God is not so much concerned about your ability. He's concerned about your availability. And he wants us to start off with a desire to be available. And when we make ourselves available, God takes it to another level. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this that I'm talking about. Um, Pastor Chuck Smith, the late Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, he told a story one time of some young ministers who came to his church. And they were gung-ho. They were so excited about preaching and teaching and and the first thing that Chuck said to them, he says, well, you know, you don't just come in here and just start preaching and teaching. The first thing that we want to do is see if you're going to be uh, worthy to be servants. They said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, what we need you to do is to start off in this church cleaning the bathrooms, mopping the floors. And you know what those young people did? The young ministers did? They just walked out of the church and left mm. because – Everything begins with us being servants. When we start off with that servitude attitude, God will bring it and show us things that we've never discovered before. But we have to start somewhere, and I believe it's with being a good servant of God. And disciples, right, they, the, the big thing with them, they had these eagles too because they were, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? You know, who's going to sit at your right hand? And Jesus said, he that's going to be great among you, let him start off as a servant. And as God looks at the heart, it's the notion that God is not as concerned about your ability, because we know at the end of the day, who he calls, he equips. So don't have to worry about the ability, but he's concerned about your availability. Absolutely. We're visiting today in studio with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He's conducting a series, a class series, nine weeks long, on spiritual gifts and rewards. This is taking place at the East Bay Baptist Association, located in San Leandro, runs every Monday evening from 6.30 until 9.30 p.m. And if you want to get more information, you can contact Dr. Buckner at area code 415-721-1778. That's 415-721-1778. We'll take a brief time out when we come back. I might add to that list, by the way. So you have three <laughs> on the category, the folks that watch what happens, don't care what happens, make things happen. And then there's that other category, folks that wonder what happened. <laughs> Back with more, Dr. Jerry Buckner, our guest. We talk about identifying your spiritual gift. Lifeline continues after an update on traffic with Michael Bennett. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our visit with Dr. Jerry Buckner tonight in studio. His broadcast contending for the faith Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. We are talking about how to find your identity and what God has called you to do. What kind of gifts and talents has he blessed you with to put to work in the church for the benefit of the church, for the glory of the kingdom. And the challenge, of course, Dr. Buckner, as we were mentioning before the break, is for folks to really understand the breadth and depth of what that means. And and sometimes it's not even a matter of trying to identify what God has given us. We want to stand up before God and say, God, this is what I want. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that's going to really be a sad day for most of the people, many of the people in our churches, is that it talks about in First Corinthians chapter 3 that uh, if we don't build on the foundation, there's a wise builder, master builder, that's Jesus, that if we don't build on that foundation, we'll suffer loss in terms of our works. And we don't want to experience that because God has rewards for us and he has blessings for us. 
But uh, we will be judged. It talks about in Second Corinthians 5 and 10, we all must appear before the bema of God, that every man will give an account of his works. And so we got to be busy. Jesus immediately at 12 years of age said, I must be about my father's business. And we need to be that way too. And there's one word that I think I would probably put before availability. And it's sensitivity. Uh, I think that we have to be really sensitive. I think everything starts off with sensitivity that you were sharing a little bit ago uh, before we, when we were on the commercial break about, hey, you know, you were just open to wherever God would lead you, you know, wherever he wanted to do with you. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. You know, when you look at the, an example of Philip uh, being at a revival in, in uh, Samaria, a place where Jews uh, didn't like to associate with. He's there at a revival in Samaria, and people are being touched and brought to Christ. And all of a sudden, the Lord speaks to him and tells him to get up out of Samaria and go to the south towards Gaza. Ethiopian eunuch is there. And immediately he was sensitive to what God called him to do. And then he was available to what God wanted him to do. He was flexible to what God wanted to do. He was teachable to what God wanted to do. He was reliable to what God wanted to do. And he was accountable to what God wanted to do. He was involved with all of those reliabilities. And and I think that everything begins with the sensitivity, Craig, is that the Spirit of God, he moves, he talks to us, he ministers to us, and we better listen because we don't get those opportunities every day. And, and that sensitivity, to put this in context, and we, we've all run into folks like this. I'll use myself as an example. I love to sing. <laughs> I get teased. Oh, I'm going up and down singing. the hallways. Oh, I'm not. Let me be clear about that. I didn't say I could. I just said I like to. I love to. Oh, and I'm okay. sometimes up and down the hallways in here, and every uh-huh. once in a while, Jarrell will give me a hard time and, you know, ask whether or not somebody lets the, you know, needs to let the rocking chair back off the cat's tail, things of that sort. <laughs> <laughs> but I have the sensitivity to know that I don't have a gift in that area, and I'm okay with that. Would I love to be up on stage, belting them out, lead the choir Sunday morning? Sure. They'll call me when they need to vacate the building quickly. Craig Roberts will sing, and then we will conduct a fire alarm exercise. That'll be the deal. (laughs) So to have the sensitivity to understand sometimes that we need to follow the track of what the Holy Spirit is calling us into and rely upon that. And it isn't always about fulfillment of our ego and having the sensitivity to understand that some things I'm talented in doing things I'm not gifted in doing. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I I hear where you're coming from about that singing thing, uh, because I... You're in the same camp? Well, I can sing, though. Oh, you can? Yeah, it kind of runs in our family. Uh, But uh, I was thinking about you, but I also was thinking about another guy who said that uh, if he started singing, he would run everybody away, and it was J. Vernon McGee. (laughs) 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 But J. Vernon McGee said, one thing that's true, though, when I get to heaven... I will be able to sing. Absolutely. And, <laughs> absolutely. Because God's going to change things. And I would suggest for all my listeners, don't make any requests. Just wait till we get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Let's come back full circle to this path then. Um, be obedience, sensitivity. Um, ironically enough, as we're looking for an understanding of the gifts of the Spirit or the gifts that God has called us to, there's an awful lot of need for the fruit of the Spirit to be active in our life to help take us down that path of discovery to exactly what it is that God has uniquely gifted us and called us to do. Right, right, right. You know, he's really, I think just uh, we have to just be open to what he's called us to do, available. I mean, sensitive and available. And he will show us, just like you were saying, you know, hey, you know, you had plans to go to uh, Bible college. I had plans to be a professional football player. I had the last thing that was on my mind to be a preacher. And, but God, I was open to what God uh, wanted me to do. You know, one of the things I think, and this is an interesting thing to talk about for a, a few minutes here. I've thought about this, and I've said to myself, why is it? that a lot of our people are ignorant regarding spiritual gifts. And, you know, it's not bad being ignorant, because we all are, but it's bad when you want to stay ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1, uh, that concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now, 
the reason why a lot of people, Craig, and I know you've, you've seen this too, is ignorant regarding spiritual gifts is because when you have a church, we have a lot of churches where uh, I have to put a lot of blame on a lot of pastors because when a pastor's doing everything, we kind of have this, uh, this Pope mentality where we're doing everything, and when we're doing everything and the deacons are doing everything, and we are not teaching our people the revelation passage of we are a kingdom of priests. And that's why the temple was torn in two, because he's made us a kingdom of priests that we all. And Moses at one time had this same problem that many pastors have, was doing everything. And Jephro, his father-in-law, said, if you don't delegate, you're going to wear yourself out. And he came to grips with delegating, and he even delegated to the 70 elders. So I think the big problem why there's so much ignorance is that God is calling upon us as leaders to help. De- you know, the, the classes that I'm teaching on now, this is something that pastors should be doing in the churches on an ongoing basis. And it seems from what you're suggesting, Dr. Buckner, to be a problem on both sides mm-hmm. in that Pastors are not doing an adequate job in teaching the importance of delegation and actually delegating. Sometimes it's a power thing. It's a control thing. It's a fear thing. And then likewise, you've got folks in the pews. So when the pastor does say, I need to delegate this, no hands go up. Or somebody says, nah, that's not a very fancy job. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want the job that's going to get me up behind the podium. I want the job that's going to be a little fancier. I'm going to get more recognition. Um, nobody seems to want to wait on the tables. And yet at the end of the day, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And what we have to do is uh, work with those who are willing to do it, who have a spirit of... Uh, uh, sensitivity and availability. And doesn't that also come back to checking your motivation that even if you are a garbage collector, you can sing to the top of your lungs and rejoice and praise God if you do your job as unto the Lord? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that should be a big challenge to us is the in terms of us being pew sitters and and bucket boys and girls and because nobody that's doing sports want to be on the sidelines and sit down on the bench and be bench warmers. We have a lot of bench warmers in our churches today. But when Paul lays out the anatomy of this spiritual body and says the the hand plays a major part, the foot and the eye, and can you imagine, Craig, your hand saying to you, when, it, when you get up in the morning, a hand's looking at you and saying, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care what you do with your body. This is what I'm going to do. And it, 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 this is what Paul is kind of laying out. He says, within the body of Christ, you know, the hand is operating with the eye. The eye is operating with the foot. And all of them are playing a major part together, and we got to come to that maturity when it comes to spiritual gifts, because he's laying this all out in First Corinthians chapter twelve, because it's a sense of rebellion and self-centeredness when we decide to do what we want to do outside of what God has called us to do. And this takes us back to this idea that again, this is sort of the the layers of the onion ascertaining what God has called you to do, being available in the first place, being sensitive to that of which God has called you to do so that you stay in your lane, and then being willing to do it, understanding that, you know, we're all given to different roles. To some are preachers and others are evangelists and some are pastors. If we had nothing but evangelists, well, who would be there to then grow and mature and disciple the flock? Mm -hmm. Likewise, if they were all pastors taking care of the flock, well, who's out there with the gift of teaching to help exhort people to go deeper into their understanding of God's Word? So it is the multiplicity of these different offices, different gifts, that allows everything functioning together to ultimately accomplish God's good pleasure. Oh, absolutely. You know, and uh, Jesus said, he that knoweth God's will and doeth not will be beaten with many stripes. Uh, this is a wake-up call to us that we will be judged 
for not being responsible to this thing of sensitivity and availability, flexibility, teachability, reliability, accountability. And I think the thing that helps to motivate people in my church as well as uh, this is an interesting thing to say to pastors who are listening tonight, I think that we need to motivate our people in letting them know that there are rewards for us being faithful. Has anybody ever, let me ask you this question, Craig, has anybody ever discipled you in the area of the different rewards in the body of Christ, the, the different rewards from what the Bible has to say? You know, I don't believe that they have. And this thing that you just said, is the mentality in most of our churches. Now, let me just kind of like, I know our time is almost no, up, but let me time. just kind of lay out <clears throat> something that that lays out the five different rewards. And you might want to write them down, and then people out there may want to write them down as well. And this is something that I've been teaching, I'm going to be teaching in my class as well in the uh, next semester. The first one is the victor's crown, Okay. So that's people who, we find this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. This is, has to do with people who are faithful to the Christian life and faithful to walking the Christian life. Then there's a second crown. It's known as the rejoicing crown. This is in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 19. This has to do with people reaching out, and we use the term, people that used to use the term soul winning. I don't really like that term. I like the term of winning the, the reaching the total person because it's not just reaching their soul but the total person so that's the rejoicing crown the third one is the crown of righteousness this means those who love the lord living a pure righteous and holy life and we see this in second in second uh, timothy 4 where Paul was getting ready to be beheaded by the Emperor Nero. And he talks about that uh, he fought a good fight. He kept the faith. And henceforth has laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You notice how he uses that word, crown of righteousness, that the righteous judge shall give to me, and not only to me, all those who believe in his appearing. And then there is a fourth one called the crown of life. And this is in James 1 and 12. And this has to do with the martyr's crown, people who have actually been martyred. There's people all over the world being martyred for the cause of Christ, and there's a reward for them. And then the fifth and final one is the crown of glory. This is found in First Peter 5 and 4, and this is a crown of glory that relates to faithful leaders and faithful pastors. And so... What I've done is when I've done lectures and workshops and seminars, I will ask that question to the average layperson. I've even asked this question to pastors. What are the crowns that God is going to give us when we stand before him? Lay people don't know. Pastors don't know. The reason why is because we've never been decided, a disciple. One of the things that motivates us to do what we need to do is to know that there is something that we can anticipate that's going to be a reward down the road. Because, I mean, when you look at even uh, a whale, when they do a job, uh, you know, a dolphin, they constantly reward them. You know, we get rewarded at a job getting paid. We need this type of motivation to kind of get us excited about what we're doing. And if we have not been taught that, then we become ignorant of that. Well, and if we anticipate folks to prevail and persevere at a task that God has called them to and run the good race and see it through to the finish, you know, as you point out, we, we, when, a, when a dog performs a trick, he gets a treat. When the kid gets good grades on a paper, they get a star on the refrigerator. When you do a good job at work, you get the bonus. Whatever it might be, me, be people associate that sense of prevailing and 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 being uh you know focused on 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 the job and persevering with a sense of reward and some people say well you know and, and maybe this is the reason why we get out of our lane and we seek arenas that God hasn't called us to because we're trying to find some area that we perceive will give us some kind of a reward absolutely absolutely and there was a time when uh, because I had not been taught this, and over the years doing deep research and being mentored by Walter Martin and other great minds, 
I started getting motivated towards what I am believing in and the Lord because I'm looking forward to receiving one of these rewards. And, and, and I think about Billy Graham. You know, the things that stand out with me with Billy Graham, and I think everybody should try to emulate this in their lives, is a man of integrity. He was a man that was faithful to integrity. Uh, you didn't hear these, these scandals uh, with him. Uh, man of integrity. And then the second thing, he was a great man of humility. And then the third thing is that he had a great passion for the loss. And I think that when he stood before God, I believe that God said, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. And this is the thing that every one of us should be reaching toward that higher goal. And, and Paul says, press towards the prize, the mark of our high calling in Christ. Paul was constantly motivating the people. We need a sense of motivation towards the spiritual gifts. And, you know, it's interesting. We, we just wrapped up the Olympics. Now, can you imagine what chaos it would be? If somebody started in one race and decided, no, I'm kind of tired of this, I'm going to go over here, and then I'm going to wander over there, and I'm going to go from the country skiing to the slalom skiing, and oh, no, I'm kind of tired. I'm going to go and venture in. Maybe I'll hang out around the ice rink for a while. You would never win the prize because you never saw the race through from start to finish. One of the hallmarks, I think, of the success of Dr. Graham, and I know some folks are critical there's some things occasionally that he had said here and there. But you can say this of Dr. Graham, that he never got out of his lane, that he started and he finished the race, and he was faithful to that which God caused him to do, mm -hmm. called him to do. Some folks, I think, get frustrated because they pick up a task and then they get tired of it quickly because they don't get that sense of reward because they don't have their eyes on the right prize and then suddenly they go and start something else. How many of us know people in the church that one week are teaching Sunday school, six weeks later are in the choir, three weeks after that are driving the school bus, four weeks after that have some other job that they do, they get so quired, tired so quickly because they don't keep their eye on the prize, they don't set out to start the race and to finish the race. And I think that has to do with more than just the race of life. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, to add to what you're saying is that when we do an uh, – exegetical study of Second uh, Corinthians 5 and 10, where Paul says, we must stand before the beam of God, that every man will be judged on his works. That, when you get behind the meaning of that, the Greek word of the bema, it related to the Hesbian games. You probably heard about that, where they used to have these races and stuff like that. And Paul is kind of alluding to that, that, you know, there is a reward when we stand before the beam of God, but there is also a loss of rewards if we don't do what God called us to do. And God is calling upon us to be faithful, as you mentioned, faithful in, he says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be blessed in much. And, and isn't that blessing, isn't that reward, Dr. Buckner, in, in harmony with what it is that God has called us to do specifically and uniquely? And I ask that question because some people might say, well, wait a minute now, guys. I hear what you're saying, but you're using Dr. Graham as an example. And I'm just the guy that goes in and ushers on Sunday. I'm never going to reach 10, 100 million people for Christ. I'm the gal that goes and puts the flowers on the altar and dusts the pews on Saturday in preparation for church on Sunday. I'm never going to get up there and give the perfect three-point sermon. But it really doesn't have to do with the office. It has to do with the faithfulness to the office or to the calling, doesn't absolutely, it? Absolutely, absolutely. When he said that if you're faithful in little, I'll bless you in much, it all goes back to faithfulness. It doesn't, matter. It's, it doesn't have anything to do with your position, your title, it, it, you know, your calling, what uh, specific calling you're in. What God is calling upon us to be involved with three Fs, and we encourage people to write these down. Your focus, that you stay focused, that that's the first F. Faithful, second F. And the third F is fruitful. That God is calling upon us to be focused, 
faithful and fruitful. Even if we felt David had a heart after God, why did he have a heart after God? In the midst of uh, all the wrongs that he did, he had a heart after God because he was genuine in his repentance. I think when you, even when you fail God, if you come to grips with, and this is a good way to close on this, if you come to grips with, because some people out there may be saying, you know what, I'm not going to get a reward because I failed the Lord. Well, listen to this and listen to me carefully tonight. I want to give you an encouraging word. David had failed the Lord. How, how big is this failure? With murder and adultery. But he had a heart after God. The Bible says he had a heart after God because he was willing in the midst of his greatest failure to not fall into that 51st state. We say it's 50 states. I say 51st state. That's a state of denial. <laughs> he was willing to say, come clean about his sin, and God was willing to forgive him. Come clean about it, and God will forgive you too. If you want to get more information about the series that Dr. Buckner is teaching on spiritual gifts and rewards, which is again every Monday evening from 6.30 until 9.30 p.m. now through the 16th of April, you can contact him at area code 415-721-1778. That's 415-721-1778. We invite you to catch the broadcast. Contending for the Faith, Saturday evenings, 7 p.m., right here on KFAX with Dr. Jerry Buckner. I'll mention, too, that if you are working through this process of trying to ascertain what are your spiritual gifts, the areas where God has uniquely prepared you and has begun perhaps to even call you to engage in those gifts for the glory of the kingdom, and you need a little help trying to kind of narrow down what that looks like, um, you can take an online spiritual gift test. It's, it's I think, a fascinating look into um, what God has potentially given you and, and potentially calling you to. Information available on the web, spiritualgiftstest.com. There's no cost for that. Uh, you can go in. You can either register or you can go in as a guest so you don't have to give any information and just go through, take the tests solidly Bible-based, I think it'll open up your eyes to uh, some important concepts in terms of what God perhaps is leading you to do. Spiritual Gifts, with an S, spiritualgiftstest.com. Our thanks to Dr. Jerry Buckner for dropping by tonight. Dr. Buckner, we've got to do it again real soon. Let's do that. We'll do that. And coming up next, we're going to get you an update on some traffic. And then right after that, we're going to continue our series on parenting. Vern Tyler here with the Hosanna Parent Project as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, let's get that look at traffic with Michael Bennett. Michael. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.